Well, good morning. So I wonder if you've ever read all about something that you're about to do, and you're like, I got this. I've read up, I know what's gonna happen, and then you have the experience and you were like, oh my goodness, it was nothing like I was expecting. I recently had one of those experiences last weekend again. It's happened lots of times in my life, right? So often you read about something and the actual experience is really different, right? But last weekend, Sophia, who's 13, our oldest, flew as an unaccompanied minor all the way from Daytona Beach, making a stop in Atlanta to Colorado. To Colorado. And you know, I had read all about what it was to fly as an unaccompanied minor. I'm like, okay, she's got this. Also, Sophia, because we lived in England, she's been flying since she was five weeks old, okay? And because of the previous job I had, she's a little bit of an entitled flyer, right? She expects upgrades. She's used to lounges. She knows what to do. So every time I was trying to prep her for things, she's like, mom, I've got this. I couldn't even get her to look up from her phone, right? And then suddenly, Saturday night comes, and I'm like, my baby is flying alone. I'm not ready for this. And four o'clock in the morning comes when Peter's about to drop her, and Sophia wakes up, and her eyes are this big, and she's like, I'm flying alone. And the experience was a little bit different than all of the reading that we thought we could do to prep our hearts and hers. She's having a great time, by the way. She made it to Colorado. She will be back in our arms tonight at 8.30. I didn't say that in the first service, and everyone was on a cliffhanger. How's Sophia doing? So that is the update. Now, since the new year, we have been looking at how God speaks every single Sunday, and we've been looking at how God speaks through Christ, through God speaks through Christians, how he speaks through the conscience, through the commandments, through scripture, and today we're looking at how God speaks through his spirit. Now, throughout the Bible, and in every single one of our passages today, we find that the Holy Spirit changes absolutely everything. Now, there's so many things that the Spirit changes, but I'm just going to go into three from the passages today, and I'll let you know them so you know where we're going. First, the Spirit brings God's Word to life. Second, the Spirit disrupts our ideas of worship. And finally, the Spirit offers us friendship with God. So the Spirit brings God's Word to life. Now in Matthew 17, it says this at the beginning, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and they led them up a high mountain by themselves. And suddenly he, Jesus, was transfigured before him. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Now, all throughout scripture and in every passage that we read today, mountaintop experiences were something special for the people of God, right? In Psalm 99, at the end, it said, exalt the Lord our God, worship him at his holy hill or holy mountain is the word there. In Exodus 24, what happened, the start of it, the Lord says to Moses, come up to a mountain and I'm gonna give you the law. And then later in that passage, it says six days later, the Lord appears in a cloud and he calls Moses up higher. Come up. I have something for you. 
So we come back to our Matthew passage, and you better believe that it's not lost on Peter, James, and John, that Jesus brought them up a mountain, and suddenly they are experiencing what they had only read and heard about their entire lives. They're up a mountain, and they're having a new, fresh, real, living experience with Jesus, the living God. Yes, they had become to believe that Jesus was God, but now they're experiencing it in a new way. And then they were in the very presence of Moses and Elijah, which represented the law and the prophets coming to life. In this very story, the Spirit of God brings the words that they had read about all of their lives to life, literally. And this is why Peter writes so emphatically in the epistle later on about his eyewitness experience. He says, look, all of these things we're telling you about Jesus rising from the dead, this is not cleverly made up stuff. We could not make it up if we wanted to, but I was an eyewitness. I was there on the holy mountain. I saw God come down. And after he establishes, no, I've actually seen and experienced God alive, the prophetic word alive through Moses and Elijah, he goes on to challenge us. And you know what? You would do well to pay attention to the word of God as a lamp shining in the dark place knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, but men and women spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know what you experience or if you experience anything when you read God's word. It's okay if you've never experienced anything, but we have a challenge and a promise today from the passages that the Spirit of God will and can bring God's word to life for us in a new and fresh way. In this passage, it said God's word is a lamp shining in a dark place. In other places of scripture, we're promised that God's word can be a light to our feet, a joy to us and delight for our heart. Truth, that it's alive and active, that, that God's word could actually even be profitable, it says in Timothy, to us. And that his word teaches us, rebukes us, corrects us, and trains us in righteousness. Now, over Lent, traditionally, we give things up, right? But why do we give things up? We give things up to make space for God, to reveal himself, to speak to us in a new way. And I wonder whether as a congregation together over this Lent, we can take our times in the word of God and we can say, we're making space. Holy Spirit, would you speak to me and make God's word come alive for my life? Do you have a rhythm of reading your Bible daily? If not, maybe over Lent, try that afresh or for the first time. I've been going through something, it's an old practice called Lectio Divina, which just literally means the divine reading of God where you read a little bit less, you slow down while you're reading, and you pray through things. Now, I always, I think the Teppers in general, we always have to be reminded to slow down. We are busy, fast-moving, fast-speaking people, and we're learning to slow down. But something that's helping me slow down and invite space is the word pray. 
and I'll spell it out for you guys, and then we're going to be talking about it over our times of prayer and intercession on Tuesday nights. You pee, pause, take a breath, slow down. Invite God's Holy Spirit to be with you as you open God's word. R, reflect. You read a passage of scripture and you don't just check it off your daily reading list. You say, Lord, what do you want to teach me? What do you have to say to me? How can you guide me or change me? A, ask. Ask the Lord to speak. Ask him to show you things. And finally, why? Yield. Whatever you want to do, however you want to change me, however you want to transform me, do it. So first, God speaks through his spirit, and the spirit of God brings God's word to life for us. Secondly, the spirit disrupts our ideas of worship. When Sophia first learned how to tell jokes, she was obsessed with knock-knock jokes. And I'm going to tell you her favorite one. Can you go with me here? Okay. Knock-knock. Interrupting cow. Moo! She would shout at us right? That was her favorite. But, but this is what's happening in this passage. The word of God is literally brought to life for the disciples. And what happens next? Peter says to Jesus, Lord, Lord, oh, it's so good we're here. If you wish, I'll create a tent for you, a tent for Elijah, a tent for Moses. And then the passage says, and while he was still speaking, behold, a cloud overshadows them. And a voice from the cloud says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And they all hit the deck. Peter didn't even get to finish his thought. He didn't even get to finish his sentence. When light surrounds them, the voice of God begins to speak and they don't know what to do. Now, Peter wasn't suggesting anything wrong here. He was doing what had always been done in the presence of God. He was worshiping in a way that the law and the prophets, Moses and Elijah, who were standing right there, had instructed the people of God to do. In the desert, a tent was set up, what? To contain and travel with God's spirit. And then the people of God were given forms and styles of worship that were very important and were very sacred in order for them to be able to approach God. And then annually, the Jewish people would set up tents outside of their house to worship during their Feast of Tabernacles and tents. So Peter's idea was, wow, God just showed up. And in order for God to show up and stay with us, we have to do what we've always done. But the Spirit of God surrounds the disciples, speaks in a new way, underlining Jesus' divine authority that does not contradict the law and the prophets, but is higher and will change things, a change a new way of worship, even than what the, the, the law and the prophets had set out. And all they could do is not question it, not say, ah, are you sure we should worship that way? All they could do is behold the beloved son and fall down and worship. The whole experience was probably jarring. It was messy. It was different. They didn't like different. I don't like different. I'm a control freak. It's hard when things change, especially when things change maybe where we're comfortable in worship, in our church, in the way we approach God. It's a little bit tricky sometimes. 
It wasn't the style of worship they were used to, but as the spirit drew near and spoke directly to them, all they could do was surrender to this new style of worship. And as I was reading this passage over the week and praying for us, it it made me wonder, how many times do I go about my normal routines of worship, out of duty, on repeat, but somehow I fail to engage with the very one who I'm trying to worship? Or maybe, where have I in my worship and what I like in my traditions set up barriers for others to worship? Maybe I think that God has to be approached this way or they have to come into the church or this has to be done simply because my tradition and what I'm comfortable with has dictated that worship looks that way. But maybe the Holy Spirit wants to disrupt our traditions a little bit and make space for something new in our lives. Maybe he wants to make space for new people to meet Jesus in a new way. It might not be comfortable but it could be beautiful. It could be life-changing and transforming. And it reminds me of what Jesus says when he meets the woman at the well in Samaria. Because, you know, being comfortable in our traditional way of worship, that's nothing new. The Episcopals don't own that, right? Right? We all like to worship in the way that maybe we grew up or we found once we found God. And there's nothing wrong with that. And Jesus meets the Samaritan woman and he's talking to her and she's loving his words and she's like, hold on. My ancestors worshiped like this on this mountain, and I like that. Your people say you got to worship like this. You, you, tell me what God really wants. Tell me who's right. And this is what Jesus says. And with his answer, her whole life is transformed, and a whole community that didn't know Jesus suddenly came to know him. But how does he answer? The hour is coming, and now is here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. What he's saying is, yes, yes, we like certain ways to worship, but really that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is, will you make space for me? And if some things change when you make space for me, will you surrender and say, you're God and I'm not. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. So the spirit brings God's word to life. The spirit disrupts our form of worship. And finally, the spirit offers us friendship with God. So I'm a a chaplain at our local YMCA in DeLand, and we are currently running something called the Alpha Course at the Y, and it's just a course over eight to 10 weeks where people can ask their big questions with God and really put their beef on the table if they have some. No answer is restricted, and and everybody can kind of say, I disagree, I'm not sure. And, And there's a guy, Scott, there that I have worked out with for four years, and he's the one, he does all the things. He's in all the classes, all of it, right? And he does more and harder and the best, right? And this week, we were looking at who Jesus is. And we heard lots of evidence about the historical Jesus and and why we could believe in him and why we could trust him and resurrecting from the dead. And when the video ended, there's always a time of discussion. And Scott says, you know, I like Jesus. I've never really had a problem with him. But I I don't like it when you guys and this video says he's God. Because you know what? Lots of other people claim to have God that's not Jesus. And how can you really know that Jesus is God 
In fact, he goes on to say, you can't know and you can't say Jesus is God because God is unknowable. But you see, this passage in Matthew, how it ends, and what the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit says, no, God isn't unknowable. The Holy Spirit gives us a way to have friendship with God, makes us sure of who Jesus is. Jesus came to his disciples after this jarring experience of experiencing God in a new way that they didn't understand. But it's so beautiful. This is my favorite part. Because after all the lights and all the flashing and even fear and disruption, Jesus comes to them, touches them, and says, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And just like Jesus does on so many other times when the disciples are afraid, he comes to them and he touches them and he tells them to rise and do not be afraid. And I'm going to pause because you know what? That's my alarm on my phone. Shelby, could you help me? Yep. I have an alarm that goes off at 11.02 every single day, which is um, your kingdom come, your will be done in Luke 11.02 to remind me for people in my life that are far from Jesus. But I thought it was on silence and it's not. So there you go. The spirit offers us friendship with God, just like Jesus does on so many other times for his disciples. They're afraid, they're doubting. But what does he do? He doesn't go farther away. He comes closer. And in an instant, his presence changes everything. He comes near, he touches them. It says, do you know that the word in Greek for he touches them is the same word when Jesus healed people? His touch healed them, repaired their broken hearts. He brings their hearts to life. The word rise means awaken, rise from the dead, come alive. And he takes away their fears. So, so you see what's happening here. Peter, James, and John are getting a taste of what was to come through Jesus' death and resurrection and the coming of the Spirit. And that's the season we're going into, right? Lent is remembering Jesus' death. Easter is Jesus' resurrection. And then we go into Pentecost, which is the sending of the Holy Spirit. They're getting a taste early that the God of the universe is not far off but he's closer than they could have ever imagined. And he wants to be in relationship with them. And Matthew, the writer of Matthew, loves this so much that he starts the book of Matthew in chapter one, calling Jesus Emmanuel, which is what? God with us. And he ends the whole book of Matthew with Jesus promising, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age you see, Jesus fulfills this promise in his life by climbing one more holy mountain by himself this time, Mount Calvary, and taking on his own all of our sin, all of our shame, all of the things that would keep us far off from a holy God. And he takes it on himself and he pays with his perfect life. And his death offers us salvation from a life without God. And then his resurrection offers us an eternal life with this beautiful God. And then he sends his spirit after he ascends. Why? To make his friendship, his personal relationship with us a reality here and now through the power of the Holy Spirit.
And that's where our psalm ended today. It talked of Moses and Aaron and Samuel. It said they prayed and they got answers. They heard the commands of God and they obeyed. They were convicted of sin and they received forgiveness. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, when we believe and say yes to Jesus, for believers, that's not special treatment because they're prophets. Samuel, Moses, Aaron, for believers, this is the reality of God in our lives that we should be hungry and expecting for. That when we pray, God answers, that when we hear God's word, the Holy Spirit empowers us to say yes and to believe. And you know what? This isn't just something that I've made up today to have a final point about friendship with God. Because you know, in the scriptures, the only person until Jesus that was called a friend of God was Moses. But then in John 15, right before Jesus goes to the cross, he says this to his disciples, you are my friends, if, I call, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. God is still speaking through his spirit today. As believers, his spirit will bring his word to life in a new way if you invite him. It might disrupt our worship a little bit, but it could make room for something new and fresh. And his spirit makes friendship with God possible. The Holy Spirit wants to come near us in a fresh and new way today and through Lent. He wants to touch and heal, comfort our fearful and broken hearts and transform our lives. And so as we end today, I'd like to challenge all of us. Do you want to start a friendship with God or maybe restart or restore one? because that's available for all of us. And if you would like to, I'm gonna say a prayer now, but then after communion, as always, we'll offer prayer over there and we would love to pray with you. If you'd like to invite the Holy Spirit to restart or start for the first time that friendship with God. Heavenly Father, thank you that you're real, that you speak to us through your spirit and that you offer us friendship with you. What a beautiful thing. In your precious name we pray, amen.